Welcome to Insurance Happy Hour. I'm Laird. I'm Becky. So here's our first two-part episode. Huh. Yes, excuse me, I was drinking. Yeah, and, and that's kind of my point is, uh, <laughs> you know, now we have twice the happy hour, so this might be twice as happy. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, yeah. But uh, it's, uh, you know, th- this will be a back-to-back episode. We're actually recording it back-to-back. Yeah. Again, showing behind the thing just because. Pulling uh, back that curtain. Yeah, pulling back the curtain because, you know, this was such a fun topic that we were covering that I was like, Hey, we, we can, we can power through this and do two episodes in a day without, you know, hurting our back or anything like that. So. Yeah. Well, last episode, there were at least probably three tangents. We didn't go down that I'm like, this could be a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah. And you know, that, that was how we kind of started this whole podcast is like, we came up with like five ideas. And then by the, by the end of the fifth episode, the, my, my one note for this show was like off the page. It was scrolling. Yeah. There's tons of ideas for us to actually go out and, and tackle. But, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this topic that we've been talking about is, you know, kind of a, a touchy subject. Cause you talk to millennials about it and, um, you, you talk to old, old farts about it and they have wildly differing opinions on the whole subject. And so in the, in the last episode, we really talked about what makes a millennial. And, um, this, this episode, I kind of want to talk about, you know, how that interacts with insurance and, uh, some of the demographics that they came up with in the survey. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's dive in. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. All right. Well, first of all, I, I look at this, and they said they surveyed 304 millennials. Did 304. They, 304. They based this whole story on 304 people. Yeah, and, that's and, not a large enough group. I know. That's like you know where where did they find these people? You know, <laughs> <Where were> they, <laughs> um, did they go down to the mall? <laughs> oh wait, the kids don't go to the malls anymore, do they? Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, did did they go down to the arcade? Oh wait, those don't exist anymore. Hmm. Where where do they find millennials these days? Where do you think they actually triggered this survey off of? Where would the, be the best place for you to go get millennials? Snapchat. Snapchat. <laughs> Man, did you see their numbers a couple weeks ago where they they've lost users? Yeah. 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 Instagram has Instagram stories and then is it has done very well as far as taking users away from Snapchat. Yeah. And so you know, I, I, I see Snapchat being done here shortly. I'm sure it will be. And you know, it, that that's the whole you know, who could have evaluated that? You know, it was you know, tens of millions of dollars of evaluation for an app that showed a, a picture for ten seconds. I mean, it, it's pure millennial right there. You're probably you're probably right on that regard. But they talked about um, you know what was the and they surveyed 304 and 304 is such an odd number to me. But uh, millennials, I guess it adds credence. Whenever you have a more precise number, you can. Um, you can go in there and say, ah, oh, 304. We really did a survey. Well, what, what's the statistic? The statistic? 89% of statistics online are made up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that too. Said by it. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Linkletter. Um, but uh, no, I, I saw that same survey last year and I think it was 87%. So it's gone up. Oh, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> 
But, you know, the millennials are anywhere between the ages of uh, born in 81 to 96. And I am not in that group. So I'm an old fart, according to you millennials, right? Yes. And you make you make sure I never forget it. I do. But they, they first of all, they, they were looking at this, you know, the younger millennials anywhere but born between 1990 and 96, 34% of them make it up. And then 66 are the older millennials that are born from 81 to 89. And, you know, really they – they, they then proceeded to break it down, you know, percentage that are urban, suburban, rural, you know, relationship, number of children, education, employment. You know, they, they really put this all under the, the whole vi- device of, uh, of uh, you know, demographics. But I really look at it as putting them into categories. <laughs> and first of all, I didn't think millennials like being put into categories. Mm. I mean, who does? I, that, Do you? No, I don't like it. You know, there's no category that holds me. That's <laughs> <laughs> a truer statement I have not heard today. <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, but you know, putting everybody into these categories, I think, is a problem because you know, what if they they cross them? What what if they go across those lines? And so I, I was just like, no, this isn't really flying for me. You know, and so, but I really wanted to drill down in this report's key findings. And, you know, one of the first ones that, are, that really stood out to me is millennials uh, value a work life balance above material and career success. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think, and I, but. And I don't know if it's just millennials because work-life balance has become a, a thing that I think is important to a lot of people in the last 10 years, more so than it was before. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that we're, we're like 10 years behind what happens in Europe where you get sabbaticals and you get four weeks of vacation right off the bat and four-day work weeks. I actually think that four-day work weeks is, is less than 10 years away. Yeah. And I think it's like 10 hour work days. No, I'd probably say eight hour work days, four days a week. Mm -hmm. I really think that technology, I think that we'll continue to see um, population actually slow its growth and technology will better enable people to have tasks done that normally were very time consuming and all that. I mean, just, just look at the last 10 years of the change from, you know, 10 years ago, the iPhone had just barely came out. And look at, and that was just, you could make calls, play a little games, you know, text, email, all that. But now look at all the things you can do, buy shoes. I mean, Amazon was, you know, it exploded because of smartphones, Mm -hmm. being able to be in a store, take a picture of the barcode and have it sitting on your doorstep three hours later, literally. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, now, you know, instead of uh, doing your groceries, you just have a little, you know, you fire up your Kroger click list or Amazon or whatever. You just click what you want. It remembers your previous ones. You just go in there and then you can have it delivered to you. And even now Kroger is demoing um, driverless vehicles to deliver um, groceries. Yeah. So think about that. How much time do you spend, you know, messing with groceries? decent amount of time every week exactly and if you could just go click 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 and as you're running out of things you just throw it on the list and that's what i do i just i have that click list going and i was like oh i need more kosher salt boom put it on the list next time i do a full order boom everything shows up yeah and that's saving a ton of time so i actually think that that where that comes down to is we're going to 
have more time on our hands. Yeah. And there's only so much productivity that you can do when all, a lot of those things are done for you. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm one of the optimistic ones. I'm not one of these ones that say that uh, technology is going to enslave us and all these technologies. And I, I had a conversation with someone that their industry is kind of getting um, upended by technology and it's counseling. That's what mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, they, they were very butthurt about it. And it was because, you know, they're an old stalwart. They're, they're a baby boomer, you yeah. know. And it, it's – I was like, but it can make things easier. And what it really leads to is a better work-life balance where you can spend more time with your family, more time with your friends doing fun stuff right. that makes you happy. Well, also, it's, it's not just that, but technology – can fit into your schedule, right? There's no longer this, you have to do, you you have to go to the bank between the hours of eight and five to deposit a check. I can do it from my phone, going back to the revolution that has been happening around our smartphones. You know, that helped create a whole new industry in terms of fintech and the ability to deposit a check from my phone or the ability to send money to somebody who, you know, bought me lunch or whatever because I didn't have my, my card with me. So being able to pay for my phone, all of this stuff is possible because of that and being able to do it on my schedule versus the business hours of, you know, the bank or an insurance agency or whoever, you know, the retail store, I can do it online. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's, that's one of those key things that we, I, I do see, um, with millennials, but I think that it's again, one of those things that crosses generations yeah. is that everybody would like to have a better work life balance, except for some of us crazy people that work, <laughs> work till 1030 of the night, <laughs> way too, uh, way too late. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. And one of the respondents said, you know, life is about experiences and not things. And that, that can't be more, more true. It's, um, you know, every time anybody says, Hey, I, I want, I've always wanted this and they get it. It's, um, you know, it never lives up to their, their hype right. unless it conveys more experience. Right. And, you know, that's why I'm, I'm a big fan of hobbies is I think that, I mean, I got all, I mean, uh, I fly fish, I hunt, I, <laughs> I drive too fast. I fly, I golf, I, I do all that stuff, but I, I don't let it impact my work. So I don't know where this work life balance is, but I try to do stuff that brings experience. So for me, jewelry doesn't bring experience. I mean, it, it looks nice. Great. Fine. You know, but I would rather spend money and time on something that, you know, I, I can go experience life. So I think that this is one of them that is, you know, cross-generational I, I would agree with that you know my my father-in-law is notoriously hard to shop for but one of the best gifts at least from what he's told me that we have given him is this activity box that he would get once a month for a few months that he could do with our oldest daughter and he loved that because that was something he got to do just with her and spend that special time building a bond with his granddaughter and because he doesn't need things. He doesn't want things. He's at an age and has the disposable income. If he wants something, he can go get it. So there's not much that we can give him. He's not capable of doing himself, but giving him that gift of time is huge. And he appreciates that. And you know, he's baby boomer. So it's not just millennials that value the experiences and the time. It's, it's all generations, like you said. You sound like a MasterCard commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it's priceless. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
you know, that, that leads into one of the next points is that uh, millennials are more traditional than people think. They traditional in what way? In the way that they, you know, they're lazy and selfish and more interested in going out and eating other than maintaining a social life or, you know, creating a, a family or whatnot. They were saying that 66% of the 304 uh, survey <laughs> respondents listed marriage and family among their top three priorities in life. And many of them already owned homes. And Interesting, because that's something you don't hear, is that millennials are not homeowners. Correct. And they, and they actually did go in and say the majority did rent, but there were some homeowners in there. And, you know, it, it talks about that people really, you know, that, that they're just people. Again, I, I'm, I, I'm really coming down to the realization that millennials are people too. Millennials are people too. They're not. They're not these crazy monsters that are. Don't you know, spread the word. <laughs> we don't want them to know. So you guys, you guys get special treatment, even though you're just normal. Hey, we're we're the participant ribbon, participant trophy generation. Hey, don't get me started on that. One. <laughs> God, I remember being a loser. When I lost, I lost. You know? I don't think I got a participation trophy. That must have come after me. No, it, it did not. I mean, I've never seen a participation ribbon. And I remember <clears throat> I played a lot of soccer. And um, I, I played soccer, I mean, from me being like four or five years old for a very long time I played. And what I remember one time, this is in junior high, I was playing on really high, you know, good teams and all this type of stuff. And then what happened was I played for my junior high um, soccer team and they had two awards, MVP and most improved. And really I had better scoring and all this type of stuff, but the most improved or the most MVP went to the coach's son for some reason. And then I got most improved and I'm like, no, this shouldn't go to me. They were giving me that because I was a good player and they wanted to give me some award. And I'm like, I don't want most improved. I'm like, that, <laughs> that meant that, I sucked before. <laughs> yeah, that means I sucked. No, it, it wasn't the case. And, you know, you know so they, uh, uh, yeah, they, but they're, but they're people. Yeah. They're people. <laughs> Those people. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Come on, guys. And, um, but uh, they're, they're more traditional. But what really sets them apart is that they define themselves as differences from their parents and their peers. Is they want to be individuals. They yeah. want to be separate. And, you know, whenever you are homogenized uh, by uh, school systems or that everybody is on the same level, it creates a world where you, you desire feeling special. Right. And, you know, because if you're always getting a participation award, that doesn't make anybody feel special when everybody wins. So when you win, you feel successful. And that's one of the things is that, uh, they, you know, the one of the common areas that they identified when millennials between their parents is where their, their, the millennials live. They, they wanted to say, I'm different from my parents because I don't live in the suburbs. I live, I'm, I live urban or I don't live in the country because I now live in suburbia, you know, whatever it is. They were really driving down that they really wanted to say that they lived in urban areas, but that goes towards the social status being in the know in the, in the go. But, you know, I, I see, I see it always being a cyclical thing. I mean, have you ever wanted to live like downtown? No. Why not? <laughs> I was having this conversation actually the other day with one of our millennials. Um, 
about, you know, even when I was young and hip, I didn't want to live in Uptown. You were hip at one point? Shut up. Um, yeah, no, when I first moved to Dallas and I, I was getting my, my apartment by myself, you know, my the only time I ever lived really by myself without either roommates or my husband. That was a great two years. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, uh, my dear husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I did not look in Uptown. I didn't. I had no desire to to be down there. I don't know why. I, just, I, I really just wanted to be closer to work, and Uptown was too far. Hey, utilitarian. I yeah. love it. Um, did Did you ever see Miss Miss Millennial here? Um, did you ever see your differentiator from your parents, or did you want to be? Because what I'll, I'll preface this: I wouldn't mind being my parents. Yeah. I thought, in terms I of what? I thought they were great. I think their entire – their relationship, their career, their their everything, you know, they they did well. They did well even in trying times. I mean, you know, I, I remember, you know, making uh, – you know, barely making ends meet and mm-hmm. we, we didn't have steak. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, – but uh, what about you? I mean, did you did you define yourself against your parents? You know, as as a teenager, it's it's hard to remember my mindset as a teenager 20, 20 years later because you know, there's just so much happening in your head and in your body at that time that there's you just can't remember. But so I'm sure at that time <laughs> I was trying to ignore you. I'm sure at that time um I, I I may have been like I don't want to be like my parents at all, but I don't know how much of that was towards just them as parents versus them as people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as an adult, and I have said this to my mom, that if I can be like her, that's like I think great compliment because, and this is not just my mom; this is my dad too. I admire them both as people. And the decisions that they've made as adults in their careers and as parents um, and as just, you know, friends to their friend group and and family and everything, they have always strived and by any stretch, they will tell you, they they would preface by saying they're not perfect and they made mistakes. Um, But they always strive to make the right decision, even if it was a hard decision, because it was the right one. And, you know... I have had to make hard decisions and I always have that in the back of my mind is yes, this is a hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And therefore you need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think I had a a good relationship with my parents because uh, it was because I knew that I wanted to be independent is that I, I very quickly stopped being their son and I started being their friend. And, you know, that, that happened as an adult. No, it happened when I was like 15 or 16 years old and it was good. Mm. It, it was required. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that I, I would tell any millennial, Hey, and you've got the right mindset that you should be a peer to your parents. Your, your parents are, are, you know, they should look up to you and you should look up to them. I mean, you, I, I teach my parents things all the time and they still continue to teach me things. Yeah. And so, you know, defining, making yourself different from just your parents, you know what, maybe, you know, I think that differs per situation, right? My, my parents, I feel, I, I feel so lucky and blessed in the fact that, 
my parents always operated from the mindset of parents first, like I'm your parent first before I'm anything else, especially at when I was a kid. Um, and, you know, that that has trickled into my own parenting relationships with my kids. Um, but, you know, the things that they taught me outside of that is as far as working hard and taking pride in what you do, that it doesn't matter what you're doing, there is pride to be had in a job well done and in hard work because that is still a value somehow, some way to someone, mm-hmm. whatever it is you're doing, whether you are, you know, the CEO of a company or you're the janitor in a building, like whatever it is you're doing, there is pride to be had in a job well done. Yeah. Uh, even even simple things like sweeping. Right. I mean, I remember whenever we uh, first moved into this building, the there was a carpet company that was in the back, and the back parking lot was littered with tacks, nails, and everything. I know. I caught a few of my tires. I know. But I, you know, what I did is the weekend before we moved in here, I went out there and I swept the entire parking lot. And I, I mean, I, I came up with a bucket full of stuff that was out there it you couldn't even drive back there without assuredly getting a a tire puncture and um you know they they deposited more and more over time but you know so people did get popped but i felt so good i mean my arms back shoulders everything was crushed after doing it but i felt good that i went out there with a broom and swept a parking lot yeah so job well done i get it yeah yeah, no. So I, I, I can't remember my mindset as a teenager, but certainly as an adult, I, I don't strive to be different from my parents because I admire my parents as people uh, in many ways. Oh, the next point comes back to something we talked about last episode: is that uh, age and education have the biggest impact on millennial values, behaviors, and mindsets. Yeah, and I think that's why the survey kind of split them up into younger. Uh, millennials and older millennials, but um, you know this is starting to you know we're 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 working our way we're on the pathway of how this matters to insurance. Oh, we're going to get there good eventually, yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, fifty percent of the respondents say that education is their most important financial investment today. Would you say that your education was your most important financial investment today? Yeah, I always say buying a home. Well, I mean, it, it depends on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. So one, one of the hardest decision, decisions I've made in my life in terms of taking a leave of faith is moving to Boston, going to graduate school. I knew no one, not even my roommates in Boston when I moved up there. And it was really hard, you know, being close to my family to not just move, you know, three hours away into College Station and go to A&M where, where I spent four years in undergrad, but to move halfway across the country to where I knew no one. I had no family. I had no support in, in the area. Um, but it ended up being one of the best decisions I made in my life. I grew so much as a person in those two years. I feel like I learned so much about myself in those two years I spent in that city. Um, I made some of the best friends of my life in that city. That the investment in that time up there goes beyond my career. Yeah, but th- th- that was... That was not your education per se. That no, was, but that was but, your time while you were getting your education. But I spent money to do that. 
money I'm still paying back. Well, hey, if you want to pay me money to go move to another uh, city and live the culture, feel free. No. <laughs> Not yeah. the same. Nah, all right. I, I gave it a shot, right? I'm, I'm always an enterprising person. Yeah. Okay. So, as I said, nobody likes to be put in buckets, but they decided that they're going to put these 304 people into buckets. Oh, of course they did. So, you know, they're really splitting it up, born before 1990, or born after 1990 and before 1990. Okay. And then they got the ones with college degrees and the ones without college degrees. So let's uh, the people that are the late the later generation with no degree, they're called the precarious. Don, don, don. We'll go through these in a second. Okay. But they're stating that uh, thirty seven that they are twenty two twenty seven and thirty seven thousand dollar medium income median income, and they majority live suburban or rural. Okay. Now okay. we've got the aspiring millennial. They're the ones that are born after 1990, so 22 to 27, who do have a four degree, four year degree or more, and their median income is forty six thousand dollars, and they live mostly in the urban and suburban. So let me give you my kind of like two cent read on this: okay. is that an education gets you? Um, see, this is what they probably would say is in here: is that the education gets you nine thousand dollars more median income. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, is where they live is that the majority of them, of the aspiring, live in urban and suburban areas. While, which is more expensive. Which is more expensive. And you, there's higher cost of living. You make more money. So, you know, $9,000, I mean, $9,000 is, is a decent amount of money. But the difference between living in an urban environment like New York, L.A., something like that, Seattle, mm-hmm. Chicago – Versus living out in Denton, Texas, is and that's kind of suburban, but we'll we'll just say that it's semi-urban or uh, rural. Is you know light years. I mean, you can get an apartment for six seven hundred dollars in Denton, and in New York City, you can't pick one up for you know two thousand dollars. Did they give any indication where all these millennials were located? That they other than the urban? No, they, because they, Dallas urban is different than New York. Right, I mean Dallas. The downtown Dallas is going to be more more expensive than you know the suburbs for sure, and definitely the rural. But compared to New York, it's way more affordable. Correct, but you, you know these these three hundred four people might have been from you know Nebraska. Yeah. So you know they, they might have sampled a, a college or something. But uh, you know then then we're we're gonna we're gonna find out where you know where you're standing, I guess. Okay. Is um, now the people that are born before 1990. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you've got the ones that are no four year degree and they are called the forgotten millennial. Oh, like a bad. Yeah. So, you know, they, they got a $42,000 median income and they mostly live, again, suburban, rural. Mm. And then you have the. You know, finally, the born before 1990, four-year college degree that are 28 to 37 years old at this point, and they are the lampooned millennial. $77,000 median income, living majority urban. So, 
you know, they kind of broke them up in these four categories. And, and first of all, again, putting in categories, but understanding each of these is, is kind of unique yeah. is each one of them, you know, has their, their reason that they put them into these categories that, you know, lampooned, I would say that they're probably made fun of for being millennials, even though they're not millennials you, or, you know, they're not acting like millennials. They're acting like everybody else. They're just in this category. And then you've got the aspiring one, which they are looking up and they're aspiring to become what they want to be. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just a normal person. Yeah. And then you've got the the forgotten millennial. It's almost an insult that just because you don't have a degree and you live in rural areas and suburban areas that you're just, you know, forgotten. You're you're part of the the background noise. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 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 starting to have a real problem with this this survey. Yeah. This is what we get whenever you give me the survey to do. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I'm looking at all this. And then the precarious millennial, which is even worse. It's like the young one that is not educated, that is like, you know, lost. Yeah. And so I'm not I'm not really this huge fan of this survey at this point. Because it really you know uh, as someone who does not have a degree and feels that sometimes degrees, um, you go get a degree in X and then you end up doing your Y. I mean, how many degrees are in insurance? Not many. Risk management. But not many. Not, I mean, no, you're, not you're, many. You're, you're not walking out of you know UNT, UTD, UTA, all those with degrees in insurance or risk management and whatnot. It's always business degree, but not a lot of people decide to jump into insurance because it's not cool and sexy as we've talked about. Right. And so, you know, I think that whenever we're looking at this, we have to look at it from two kind of, you know, views. One, how do we get people in the industry? How do we get the fresh blood in the industry? But also how do we market to these people? Yeah. These people. These people. These we're people, people too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Boy, a lot of talking on this one. <laughs> so what does it say about the industry and millennials? Well, it, it says that um, really the relationship is a little bit caustic in between the two, between the two uh, groups. Yeah. Is that um, the insurance industry really you know, has, isn't crazy about millennials. They're painted a – you know, it's that – you know, they're lazy and all this type of stuff. And it's because I think that there's a lot of old curmudgeons in the insurance industry. And, you know, really it's not hostility. It's more ambivalence. Um, you know, whenever the millennials are looking at insurance is that they really don't understand what insurance, what the value of insurance is. And so here's, here's kind of the, the, the key point that I took away from this. This survey okay. is that 42% of millennials that were surveyed agreed with the statement that insurance protects me and my family, while almost an equal number, 38%, agreed with the statement, I buy insurance because I have to, not because I want to. Yeah. Finally, only 4% agreed with the statement, insurance is worth every penny. Now, you, you know, you are a smart individual. Yes. Thank you. Damn it. I recorded it. Now, now it's out there for posterity. Huh? But uh, you guys hear, heard it here first. <laughs> and, you know, you understand the value of insurance because I know you have insurance and you have good insurance. Yes. You, you, you're well covered. Yes. I can't say that I'm perfectly covered. I think that I'm well covered, but I'm not perfectly covered. 
but I, I, you know, I understand the value of insurance, but I only learned that value of insurance over time. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about that in the last episode where, um, you know, millennials have kind of had their insurance paid for and covered forever that they don't really look at the, the value of the insurance. And so right now the industry is falling short because they always rely on, Hey, you have to have insurance and that's the take they go after instead of giving them the ability to understand and connect with why you need insurance. When you rely on the mandate, you are going to get shoppers who only care about price. Yep. Because they they don't see the value. So you have to you have to show why it's important beyond that it's required. And that, that is a hard thing to do. Yeah. And that, you know, but also the, the way that you convey that value and the belief is you have to be able to connect with people mm-hmm. and you have to be able to explain it. And the survey continues on that, you know, 65% of the, you know, millennials that took this survey felt that agencies and carriers um, understood the risks and the lifestyle and the needs of the um, of millennials only a little or not at all. So, sixty five percent of them felt like they could not connect with their insurance company. Really? Yeah, and you know, the that that's where people like Lemonade are doing a great job. Right. Is that they they finding ways to connect with them? They're they're finding ways to make insurance fun and gamifying it. Even though insurance can't be gamified, you can't sit there and offer a special discount today only. If you reach out to us, um, you know you'll get a discount. That doesn't right. work. That buy way. one get one. You can't do that. Correct. What what Lemonade does well to connect is they tell a story, and I think there's a lot of insurance brands. Um, and certainly agencies out there that are not as good at telling their story because, and this, this is true. I think across generations is that, that is what can people connect with over, you know, the, the lowest price, right? Is what, what is your story? Yeah. So Lemonade, I think, does that and they do it very well is they share their story about what they are doing in a way that connects with millennials. Yeah. And, you know, the right story would also include, you know, the how insurance can actually improve their quality of life. Right. Is give them that safety net that they they really desire. Right. So there's a couple of suggestions that um, they they make. Here and I want to see if this would work on you. Okay. I'll be the old person. You know, I'm I'm going to be the old crotchety insurance agent. I'll be the millennial. Neither is technically true, I guess. Um, <laughs> is tap into millennials per chant for experiences and find ways to make them better. And um, one of the examples that they give is making you know travel fun. You know, this, this is kind of how other industries have tackled this is, you know, have it at your fingertips. And I think that a lot of insurance companies are actually tackling this. They're mm-hmm. having better app experiences. They're, they're going through. And I am not a, a huge fan of insurance agencies having apps because 
you know, the insurance agency has an app and then they also have to have an app for their carrier. And then so it creates a kind of a inconsistent, um, you know, experience. experience. Yeah. But, you know, how would, you know, how would you recommend to make an insurance and experience versus just something you have to buy? I mean, I think the number one way is to meet millennials where they are, wherever they are, right? To allow them to do it online, to do it from their phone. When when you force any client, not just millennial, but any client to do it on your timetable according to your methods that work best for you, you're not providing a good experience because you're not meeting them where they are. So if you if you can look at how do I make this easier for them? How do I meet them where they are? That that goes a long way. Do you think that that's that's what uh, companies like Eliminate are, are trying to take even to the next level by having an interactive and you know fun experience or a social social cause marketing and all that? You think that's part of their their game? Absolutely, they're they're a hundred percent focused on customer experience and how do how do they keep it interesting and playful? You know, I mean, with like the app and the the um, you know the I forget. The chatbot. Yeah, thank you. Drink <laughs> um, <Straight> up, Johnny. <laughs> you know, that's what they're doing with that. Yep. All right, the next one. Draw a line between the present and the future by designing products that add value now and later on. So I, I, I think that this <clears throat> really works well with something like life insurance. Okay. Or long-term care, or something like that, where um, you can you can regularly show how by investing in that because the life insurance is often an investment. You in, you're investing in that, and how your investment is growing, and kind of gamifying that experience. If you know, it, it could be with your you know retirement plan i mean you see this with retirement plans where they're like gamifying and saying hey you know if you continue saving at this rate you could have this much and it's really cool to see that hey i'm gonna have two or three million dollars when i retire in 45 years (laughs) you know i'm like well okay that's not exactly you know that's not going to be enough in 45 years but it's a really cool thing for you to do is is allow people, and I see this throughout all the generations where they love watching their retirement balance. Right. They, oh, my husband does. Oh. He, he, he tells me probably once a month, I've got this much in my 401k now. And I'm like, and, and does right. he tell you when it goes down? No. Okay. See, that's the other thing is that whenever, like, you know, there's a small market correction and people are like, oh, I just lost $58 in my retirement account. And I'm like, dude. Are you are you watching daily? I mean, how are you watching this trend line here? <laughs> Whenever you lose fifty eight bucks, and you it can't always go up. And they're like, "Well, I lost money. You lost money from yesterday. Yeah, you didn't lose money from a year. Look to look at your balance from last year, right? And so I, I think that that's kind of the hard part. And and I think that like companies like Allstate and all this, this really falls onto the carrier side, is that they've cre- tried to create you know the better driver discount, you know, to really put that front and center. Mm-hmm. Yes, you don't have accidents, you don't get tickets, you get better insurance. That's that's always been what it is, but now they've tried to put the spin of like you know we. We, uh, you know, the, the, the check back that you get, um, what, what did, I forget whenever 
Whatever it State is. State Farm? No, no, not Discount Double Check. It's uh, the Allstate where uh, they get a check whenever they have a good driving history. Oh. Uh, they get money back on their policy. I don't remember that. I mean, that's that's great because what you do is you, you feel like you're getting a reward at the end. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of ways that uh, carriers can do it, but also agencies can do this. You can create kind of a rewards program for being with you. And, you know, stay with us for three years and you get a $25 gift card or something like that. That's actually a good idea. Yeah, because you're, you know, you can't rebate. You can't, you know, cut your commission or do anything to, to keep someone there. But say, hey, you know, for every year with, with us, we'll, we'll give you a $5 gift card or something like that. That is more like, hey, a thank you for being part of that that world. Yeah. No, I actually really like that idea because as an agent, you get more money the longer that client stays with you. You do. And uh, the next one that they say is expand your definition of wellness. Um, I, I think this was going to that point that they talked about earlier of like, hey, you, uh, you know, it's an experience and, you know, everybody wants to be healthy. And millennials are the ones that are really driving the, the whole foods, the organic, the non-GMO, all those types of things. They want to eat healthy. They want to be right. Mm-hmm. They want to be good. And then so um, whenever you can package that insurance is part of that wellness package, you know, eat right, don't smoke, don't drink, don't drive fast, don't do dumb stuff, you know, live – you don't have to live a vanilla life, but lead a life that doesn't put you at risk. You get rewards from that. And I think that that's where they're really drawing on that is, you know, wellness is more than just health as well. There's yeah. financial wellness. There's life wellness that y- you have a good balance. So I think that that's one of those points that they're getting. And, you know, the next one that they have in here is um, give millennials a leg up and help them get off to a strong start. And I, I think that this is really just something that I disagree with. Yeah. Is, you know what? Give everybody a leg up. We're all humans. Mm-hmm. Let's just, you know, let's try to to elevate and propel other people forward. You know, someone's down, bring them, help them bring them up. It's, you know, give them a, a, a hand up and do what we can to actually drive someone's success, whether it be personally with their health, their financial situation, or, you know, their work-life balance. And I think that, you know, you can capture, and this is where they're talking about those precarious millennials, you know, the ones that are, you know, the ones that we talked about that were, uh, you know, younger and um, in, a, in a precarious situation because they're younger and suburban is, is they're like giving them up and I really give them a help up. Right. I don't like that. The, it, it almost seems like the survey is like talking about social status. Yeah. And I think this is something that should be, you should try to help everybody grow. What do you think? I agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, when we help other people advance and progress and grow, it, it's it's a rising tide that lifts all boats, right? I mean, it's not taking anything away from me to help somebody else. Is that a per- cliche? It's a good one. What are those things called when you say that? Idiom? Maybe? Idiom? I don't know. It's a saying. It's late. <laughs> it's five o'clock on a Friday. I said I was going to be out of the office at this time. I know. And, this, and, and we're at 43 minutes, by the way. Whoa. I know. We're, we, we'll, we'll finish this out. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean – Helping somebody else progress and grow and advance in their career takes nothing away from me. 
except for, you know, having somebody who is supportive in turn of me and mine career. And that's, and that, that really comes to this, this final point that, that I really wanted to cover here is, you know, finding ways to tangibly improve the quality of life. That's exactly what you said. It's not just about protecting them as an insurance agent. You don't, you know, or, or a carrier, you are not there to just protect them in a point of loss. You are there to guide them to be well financially and healthy and all that type of stuff. And, you know, you can do it by helping them mend their credit, have better financial structure. Even if you don't offer in, you know, financial services, mm-hmm. maybe you can source those out because you're the one point of contact as an insurance agent that <clears throat> has to that they have to buy something from you it's it's like we said you don't want to buy it but you're there so when you're building this experience around really i I don't want to say building experience around millennials but building a better wellness focused very um you know uplifting experience that you want from your agency, you can help build up your clientele and make them financially strong and, you know, everything you can give them the strength to be awesome every which way. Yeah. And, you know, it could be credit score. It could be refinancing your home. It could be refinancing a uh, student debt. Remember student debt is, you know, crushing a lot of people. Yeah. So if you could find ways to, to build that situation, build an environment that you are helping build people up. I think that that's really what um, it needs to happen. Yeah. And really, the rest of this uh, survey, or this discussion, they talk to you, they give you references. But really, they said something, you know, they, they concluded with this is, you know, really the personas and, you know, persona marketing that the research is, you know, millennials are not a monolith. They have different characteristics, qualities, and needs depending on, you know, every various demographic factors, including education level, gender, age. But there are several insights that are in this study that hold true across all personas. But also I beg to offer that those characteristics are across all people. Yeah. And that what will work with for millennials will also work for a baby boomer. There might be some stuff that is very individualized. You know, I know I know some people that are, you know, born early 70s that don't like people. They don't talk to people. They kind of just want to do their own thing and they're very individualistic. And um, you know, it, that's a you still have to work with them. Yeah. But there's so much that uh, this industry and all industries can really do. And I don't advocate that we all go down and start becoming the next lemonade because I don't think that it's fully successful. I don't think I don't think we need to. I think the importance is you be yourself. Whatever your story is, whatever your experience you want it to be, it's it's yours. You you know, you don't necessarily need to copy what somebody else is. It's it's like, you know, um, I had I had a person I looked up to at one point, and I said, "You know, I'd really love to be you." And no, oh, thank you. Shut up. <laughs> no, you be you. Don't try to be anybody else. And it's it's the same in business. It's the same in in insurance. I we gotta stop agreeing, even though we disagreed <laughs> on this episode a, a few times. But I 
truly believe that you have to be yourself yeah. is that you have to build yourself as a person. You have to be unique. And even the weird idiosyncrasies that are your sins that make you not perfect are something that makes you great, makes you different And all our faults, all of our traits, all of our good things are what builds us up. Yeah. And I don't like that a lot of people have, you know, put all the millennials into the bucket of you lazy, you know, worthless people because that's not the case. And I've said it now and I've said it before. Um, some of the millennials that I work with and I've seen around the industry are some of the brightest, hardest working and greatest people that I've met. And I, I look forward to seeing what all of them can do. And, you know, I'm not that far off from you guys, <laughs> but it, it's fun to see the difference even between you and I. Right. I mean, we're, we're not that far apart, but we're also completely different. In a, in a ton of ways because of that separation. It was just a small separation, but we grew up in different times, you know? And uh, did you ever have a tape deck? Yes. You did? I did. Did you have an eight track? No. Yeah, I did. But, you know, it's, it's just a, you know, technology changed at such a clip. But I, I think that technology is the great equalizer. I think that as everybody starts to come together um and you know the the only worry that it for me is that it, it homogenizes us yeah it makes us all the same makes us no different it strips us somewhat of our humanity when we're all behind our screens yeah i've been uh i've been trying the past uh, couple weeks to actually put my phone down i've actually yeah, I, you know now I've, I've gotten past driving and texting <laughs> so we we've talked about that i'm now done with that part but i'm actually trying to look up for my screen I'm, okay. I'm making a concerted effort to not be on my screen as much yeah and it's hard it really is um do you have any do you have any thoughts of why it's hard to put your screen down there, there are a lot of theories, you know, the endorphin rush that you get from when you have notifications. You're like, oh, somebody liked my post on Twitter or they retweeted it or, you know, I got a reply. So I got to reply to it instantly, which is not always the case unless you're a social media manager, in which case that's your job. <laughs> Do your job. <laughs> no, I, I, you, you said it right. I, I never thought about it that way, but you know, the whole endorphin rush, cause you do get that. You get it like, Ooh, look, you know, someone likes me. Yeah. And you know, in, in a lot of ways I, I love texting people, you know, and because you get that, get that little bit, but you know, you could text with people all day and all night. And in the end, you just kind of want to see that person, Yeah, you know, and, and, talk to them and, you know, have a real conversation. And I think that, uh, well, it, it texting is great in ways to have quick conversations and a quick check in with, with, you know, some old friend, but it, it still doesn't replace the in-depth conversation that you can have over the phone or in person when you're able to go deeper into subjects that you don't on text, because it's just too hard to type all of that out. Even if you're a prolific texter, it's still really hard to type all that out. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we've uh, covered the subject. All right. I think so. Yeah. But uh, 
This if week you, we will put it in the show notes. Yes, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, if you have uh, any comments or questions or thoughts about what we talked about, feel free to reach out to us at contact at insurancehappyhour.com. You can also uh, tweet us uh, using the hashtag insurancehappyhour. Um, Becky, you're on Twitter, right? I am Becky L. Schroeder. Mm-hmm. And I, I can be found as L. Ricksford. If you stumbled upon our feed without actually, you know, having subscribed already, you should subscribe because we actually talk about somewhat decent stuff every once in a while. I don't know. I think our seven listeners like it so far. Seven? Is that it? <laughs> I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks. Uh, then, um, hold on. Hold on. Let me think about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, another drink from the well. All right. Uh, well, uh, make sure you subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on uh, Google Play. Play, Stitcher. Stitcher, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think I think we've uh, I think we've covered this one today. Yeah, I don't think we need to have much more conversation. We've gone long enough. I'm done with you. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. this long do you know (laughs) that it's actually 53 minutes so now we've talked for an hour and a half on this damn subject oh my god if anybody makes it this long thank you (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'll send you a card or something (laughs) (laughs) so did you actually think that we'd get this much material out of this crappy subject i don't think it's a crappy subject i do why because it's me of course it's not about you is it Wow, we're not using that one. (laughs) Now I know how you really feel. Hey, keep talking. Say something. Uh, I turned off your mic. (laughs) You're terrible.